Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. My name is Jonathan. I am the pastor of family ministries here at LifePoint, and it's A joy to be with you this morning as we continue on in our series, Stories for Real Christ Followers, where we're looking at some of the stories of Jesus' life and ministry and some of the stories that he taught in Matthew 15 through 18. So I want to encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it and turn with me to Matthew 18. We're going to be in verses 7 through 9 this morning, but an interesting thing happened as I prepared for this message, and I want to tell you about it. I've told many of you that I grew up in the church, that whenever the building was open, I was here, and it was a great privilege to do that, to have some spiritually healthy parents was an incredible thing for me. But one thing happened one morning. I read these verses, and it shocked me as a kid. I mean, I I didn't have a capacity to not read things literally yet. I don't know, sometimes I still don't, right? But, But in that moment, I was thinking, okay, Jesus is a little crazy. I mean, this is madness. And I mean, I thought, if this is what it takes to follow Jesus, I don't know if I can follow him. It was, it was wild. I mean, I learned about the Jesus of Nazareth who came and died for my sins and I believed and I confessed that. And then I read a verse about chopping off limbs in the name of holiness. And I went, I'm not so sure about that anymore. Have you ever read something in scripture that was a little shocking to you? Maybe a little surprising or jarring. It kind of jars you out of your cultural context, this moment. It happens often. It ruffles your feathers. And in that moment, it's very important that we take time and ask questions. What is Jesus calling us to in this moment? And so I want to read with you Matthew 18, verse 7. Now, Jesus is speaking with his disciples in this moment. So we need to keep that. So verse 1, uh, the disciples ask a question and uh, they maybe don't get the response they want as Jesus speaks of you need to be like a child in humility and you need to watch one another, protect one another's spiritual health as a parent protects a child. And then we get to Jesus speaking in verse seven. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Yeah, it doesn't take much for you to imagine what would be shocking to a child about this verse, but this is not new for Jesus. This should be reminding the disciples of something he had taught earlier. So turn with me back to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, he corrects the disciples' understanding of the law. And in Matthew 5, 
If you look at verse 27, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So this was not new for Jesus. This was core to his ministry. His response to temptation and sin was always radical. And so should ours be. So the message this morning is that temptation reveals where our trust remains. Temptation always shows who or what you trust in. And when I read, when I read this passage, this works really well to ask questions about it. Because we're dealing with this uh, uh, topic of temptation. And everyone has maybe a framework of what they are hearing me say. And so we're going to first ask the question, what is temptation? Let's get a baseline definition. Let's get a foundation for us to work from. And then we're going to look at where does it come from? Where does temptation come from? It feels like it just appears out of nowhere and we stumble into temptation. And then finally, we'll look at what should we as a follower of Christ, what should a real Christ follower do in response to temptation? So first, what is temptation? As you hear the word temptation, there's probably a lot of images that come into your mind. Maybe you think of the epic apple in the Garden of Eden, and that is the symbol that comes to your mind. Or you think of the tempter in Satan, and you picture him manipulating desires or external influences in your life to work out his strategic plan. Or maybe you think of something that has a little bit of control in your life. And you think, man, I've wrestled with this temptation for 10 years, 10 weeks whatever it is. Each of us have a picture of what temptation is, but I love what the 17th century pastor John Owen said about temptation. If you get lost, we'll summarize because this is, it was written a while ago. Temptation then in general is anything, state, way, or condition that upon any account whatsoever has a force or efficacy to seduce, to draw the mind and heart of a man from its obedience, which God requires of him, into any sin in any degree of it whatsoever. Temptation is big. It encompasses lots of things in our lives. But essentially, it is the lure for sin. It is the thing that entices us to give in. It's the thing that makes it look attractive, even though we know what's around the corner. Temptation is the thing that makes it look good. You would say that maybe it's the lipstick on the pig. It's the thing that draws the eye, it tickles the ear. 
Look at how James puts it. James 1:15 then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. The spiritual progression of the human heart goes from desire, a natural thing, to temptation and then to sin which ultimately leads to death. That is the progression. Temptation sits in between desire and sin. It's the thing that links them two together. Temptation is the scent that lures us in. And as I prepared this message, I kept coming back to the word lure. Now, if you're a fisherman, you're like, got it, perfect, I know exactly. I am not. I actually had a, a pole that was tangled up that someone donated for VBS. I don't know what any piece of it is on it. Like, I, I see a string and I know something's a rod, right? I would imagine it's the long thing. But it was so tangled up, I had to have someone help me untangle it this morning. So if the, if the analogy or illustration of lure is not setting in for you, picture Tom and Jerry. Maybe, maybe you can remember those cartoons. You remember? Tom and Jerry had this epic rivalry. I mean, Tom was out to get Jerry. And what Tom did was oftentimes he would get a slice or a wedge of cheese. Now that wedge of cheese was not for him to enjoy. It was to lure Jerry out. And you know what would happen when Jerry got a whiff of that cheese? He would be drawn up. He was out of control, his mini recliner, and he would float through the air with hypnotized eyes because he could not resist the cheese. And see, Tom would set that lure out to lure, to lull, to hypnotize Jerry into believing this is good. Just come a little farther. Friends, temptation is the lure of sin. It deceives us. It gets it, its power because at times it seems reasonable. Makes us, seem, makes us feel like we deserve it. It is natural for us in our hearts. It is the lure that entices us to sin. Now, Tom is that, is that, that person who sets the lure for Jerry but the second question we have this morning is, where does temptation come from? Where does temptation come from? We don't have a Tom in our life, or at least not that I know. But let's look back at verse 7. This is where we get our first answer. Verse 7, woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the, the temptation comes. Look at that phrase. For it is necessary that temptations come. Why? Just know, right? That's not the first thing we see in that verse, but that's the thing I'm like, come on. Or at least, Lord, why can't I be tempted to eat cauliflower instead of chocolate? Like, I'll resist that all day. Like, I have no problem there. But here we see it is necessary that temptations come. Our Lord reminds his disciples that it's actually impossible to live your life and to avoid all temptation. There is, our strategy as Christians is not to be bubble boy, immediate, completely removed from everything around us. 
We cannot avoid temptation because it will inevitably come. This is why Jesus says, woe to the world. Now, when he says woe to the world, he's not pronouncing a judgment. That is at times how woe is used in scripture. But here, Jesus is saying there's this sigh of despair. This, ugh, why does it have to be like this? Jesus has been tempted in the desert. Jesus has faced the tempter. And he says, this is not good. I don't like this. He's saying, despair, woe to the world. He's over it. So where does temptation come from? So if you look at James 1, you'll see in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. See, we have to get to that answer first, because at times it can feel like God is tempting us. Scripture clearly teaches that God is never the tempter. Woe to the world for temptation. Woe to the world and woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. See, Jesus is already corrected. Like, do not be the one who makes the child stumble for it is better that you're dead than alive if you are. See, it's a big deal to be the one who's a tempter. So our, our, our guiding lanes here are God is never the tempter and we should never be the tempter. So who is the temptation? Who is the tempter? And temptation can come from two ways. It can come from an external influence and from an internal desire. The external influence actually gets its power from an internal desire. I'm not tempted by cauliflower. I have no desire for that. Temptation comes to me from a different way because there's an internal desire that aligns with an external factor. But simply we must say, temptation never comes from God. So why is it that sometimes it feels like God is tempting us? Because scripture also teaches that God at times tests. Now there's a big difference between tempting and testing. See, temptation is the enticement to evil. The goal is to produce more evil. It is to increase evil. Testing is the trying of faith. See, testing, the goal of it is to increase trust, to increase faith to increase trust and belief. Even more confusing though, there are times when the same event in our lives can simultaneously be used as a source of temptation and testing. See, a perfect example of this is the life of Job. Satan is seeking 
to entice, to tempt the servant, to produce evil, to show that this man is evil. He intended evil. God is seeking to demonstrate the servant's faithfulness, the servant's trust. The same situation, but two very different goals. It reminds me of a verse. Satan used evil, but God used that moment for good. See, isn't it interesting that Satan, in a moment of testing, in a moment of tempting, of in that moment that God tests the faithfulness of a servant. See, it is in these influences inside of us and outside of us that temptation comes from. It is not something from the world that we simply protect ourselves from. It resides in the heart and it resides in the world. Temptation comes from both the world outside and the heart inside. So when our eyes linger or our ears tickle, what should the Christian's response be? How should we respond when temptation inevitably comes? Verse 8, and if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. So before we get the knives out and we start amputating limbs in the name of holiness, what does Jesus mean? What is Jesus meaning here? I love sharing stories about my kids. And from the very beginning, Ollie loved to play catch. That's what he wanted to do all day. There was no way I could find the end of his desire to play catch. And so we were outside. He was about two or three years old. And he struggled to catch, but he excelled at throwing. This kid had a cannon. I mean, he could outthrow Quinn by the age of two. And I mean, he could launch that thing. But right when I would throw it to him, he would, he would look at his mitt and to see if he could catch it, right? And so we had these little foam, like the first catcher uh, uh, mitt and ball. And so I'm throwing it to him, and instead of him watching the ball come, he's just staring at the mitt to see if, if he catches it. It's like, I hope I do, right? And so what's the lesson here, right? You know this lesson. You were probably taught this lesson. Ollie, you got to keep your eye on the ball. And, you know, you kind of look at, you, know, you look into your kid's eyes, and at times you're like, Hello? Like, are you, you getting it? This time he got it. He, was, he goes, yes, dad, dad. Got it. So, oh, okay. So we separate. Go, okay, bud, ready? And as I'm throwing it, I'm noticing that his, his hand is now to his side. He's kind of looking like Popeye as he is focusing with all of his strength at this ball that's coming towards him now. He does not move. The ball just smacks him in the face. 
and get, it's a foam ball, okay? So it was a good lesson, right? We're not using a baseball yet. It hits him in the face and you know, he is shocked. And he, I mean, he makes eye contact with me like, how could you? And I was, buddy, did not mean literally eye on the ball. I meant like figuratively, like you got to watch, you, you know, look at him and like, oh yeah, he's two years old. <laughs> this, is, this is not working anymore. That's where the, that's where the lesson stops, right? But the, the point of that though, is that in this moment, as I'm throwing this ball, I am using a literal, I'm using hyperbole. I'm using an illustration, figurative language. And Jesus here is not speaking literally. He's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating. But, but hold on, because I'm afraid like you, you're like me. Right when I hear that, I go, oh, good. Okay, moving on, right? It's like, no, no, no. Just because we don't take Jesus literally doesn't mean we don't take him seriously. That's a big difference. See, our approach now needs to move to Jesus is being very serious here. It seems that though once we decide that we don't need to donate our limbs in the name of holiness, we also decide that we don't need to take temptation so serious either. Jesus is using this language for a reason. So what did Jesus mean when he said it is better to cut off a limb than to enter eternal damnation minus a limb or a whole body? What did he mean by that? Well, the truth is that sin separates us. Sin separates us from God, as it says in Isaiah 59. In the same breath, though, the prophet says, God's hand is not too short to save. But the reality is, sin separates us from God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. See, temptation is a fork in the road. It presents another opportunity. And it says, trust me, this entrance is really appealing. This path is easy. And just when you feel like the path of righteousness and following the Lord is too hard, an opportunity to go down an easy path presents itself. And you think, is it worth it? And that is your opportunity to either trust in following Jesus that he truly is who he says he is or to trust yourself and say, you know what? I deserve a little reprieve. I deserve a, a little break, right? I deserve an easy season. It's been hard. You don't know, it's been hard. I deserve an easy season. These are the things that are going in our mind as we reason out why the fork in the road is actually a blessing and not a temptation. And so I wanna talk at the very end now. As we respond as Christians to temptation, we need to respond just as radical as Jesus. Jesus was radical about loving those around him. He was equally radical about what a follower's response to temptation should be. And so here we see our first one. It is to watch and pray. So when temptation inevitably comes in our life, 
our first response is not action. It is posture. It is not do. It is to be with the Lord. To watch and pray. See, in Matthew 26, Jesus will later give us maybe the best advice in our response to temptation. Matthew 26, verse 41. Jesus says, watch and pray. Well, why should we watch and pray? That you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. To watch and pray. Watch means to guard. You imagine the person on the top of a watchtower. You never hire a blind man to be your watch guard. It doesn't work. Your posture must always be one of looking out, watching, guarding your life. But that's just the first step. The second is to pray. When temptation inevitably comes, the Christian's response will be maybe to guard quickly, to investigate maybe, but you must build the habit of going to the Lord. Going to Him and saying, Lord, help me in this time of temptation. But not just help me, also strengthen my trust in who you are. Use this according to your plan, and may I step into that and away from Satan's. The second radical step for the believer is to place do not enter signs around your life. See, a good watch tower is positioned in the right place. Do not enter signs show us places we shouldn't go into. Have you ever heard the, someone say, we often are, I, I'm falling into temptation. I've stumbled in. Just like we fall into love. You know, Scripture doesn't teach that. The closest we have is just a few verses early where causing another person to stumble. But this is an action for the believer. We step into temptation. We take a step towards sin, which is always a step away from Christ. It's not that the door is open. It's that we unlock it, we open it, and we step through it often. Now, imagine you just bought a new home. And as you look at it and you, you're like, this is, this is the dream home. You're, you're set up. You think this is going to be your forever home. You purchase it. And as you're moving in, you realize that there's a door you haven't walked through yet. And so you say, oh, I wonder what's behind this door. You open it. And to your amazement, the builder did not finish the other side. So this two-story home, you open it and you're looking and it's, it's a good 10, 10 feet plus drop, Right? Now, that's not going to be good, right? You, maybe you have kids in your house, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I need to shut this door and walk away. No, you're going, no, I need to run before anyone can. Get a piece of paper, right? Do not enter in all caps and slap it on there. Now, then are you going to be like, ah, that's good. No, because you know your kids, right? They're going to go, do not enter, huh? I'm going to enter, right? I mean, it's, it's going to be quick as that, right? So you go to Lowe's, you put a lock on it. You think, ah, this will be perfect. But that's still not enough. 
You think, what if they find the key, they turn it and they open it. So you say, I just got to build a wall in front of it. I'm going to frame it out. I'm going to sheetrock it. I'm going to make it look like it doesn't exist. That's a radical step away from sin. So ask yourself, what doors in your life are propped open? And you've reasoned it out that you'll you'll never walk through that. You know what's on the other end. You know to take a step there, but in the moment of weakness, you might. So what does it look like building that do not enter, the inability to go through that? If you have a temptation in your life, this is the greatest thing you can do. Apart from trusting and watching, it is to build blocks separation. That's at the core of Jesus' teaching. Sin separates us, so separate yourself from it. Do not enter signs. Building walls, you're you're separating yourself from that sin. So ask yourself in this moment, what's something in your life that you've reasoned out that it's okay maybe to leave open Maybe it's maybe a little more distance from your phone. Maybe it's a relationship or a friendship that needs to end. Maybe it's forgiveness that you need to offer to someone else, but you've reasoned out that it's just too far. What temptation in your life? A person you need to stop listening to, a show you need to stop watching, whatever it is. And think about what's that first step? What's that first do not enter? That's easy, right? Put it up, go for it. But you know what is important in this process? The wall in front, right? Don't you, I love that, right? Like, let's build a wall. Let's make it look never exist, right? It it is some physical separation, but that's community. That's people standing in the way. Their arms are blocking and say, come on, you know this is not right. And they grab your hand, they turn you the other way. That's community. Okay, third, curbing the appetite. Curbing the appetite. What's true of temptation is that it is usually an external reality that creates an internal desire or uses an internal desire. There's an appetite in there. Now, have you ever been working on something and you just forgot to eat? Like you, you just got so consumed in it. You were in flow mode or whatever we call it. And you were just going for it. And it's like three o'clock and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm very hungry, right? And then you're like, that's why I'm kind of getting upset with everyone around me. And you're like, man, this is, that, that hunger points you to something that is satisfying. It is a natural desire. It would be terrible if we were thirsty and there was nothing like water. That's a punishment. See, our appetites are natural. They find satisfaction in good things, but sin has twisted those appetites. So remember, sin separates us. We need to separate ourselves from it. Separates us from God, so let's separate ourselves from sin. The second reality, though, is our appetites, our natural desires can be used to follow sin. So use those desires to follow the Lord, to find satisfaction in Him. 
God created us with appetites, with natural desires. Find satisfaction in holy and righteous things. The Christian life is not about, no, you can't be happy. You cannot find joy. Do not be joyful. No. Find your joy in the Lord. Find your strength in Him. Find satisfaction in the blessings that He gives. Don't reach for the apple that is not for your good and you were not created for. Reach for His gifts that He's already given. See, temptation whispers an invitation of pleasure. That this is good for you. But within every invitation is an invitation to trust yourself over God. God has already provided everything you need. He's already provided everything I need in this life. Will I trust him? Or will I look at that fork in the road and think, I think that's the right way. I know you've said this, but I kind of deserve a little breach. A little, I mean, I'll come back. I always do. The path has been set. When temptation comes in, it's an invitation to trust yourself over God. Will you look at that temptation and say, I know what's behind the door. I'm trusting in my Lord. I'm trusting in Him. Even amidst our doubts and our struggles, our shame and our guilt, God is faithful. So if you find yourself already through the door this morning, we've already sang the truth. The Lord's hand is not too short to save. You can never out the grace of God. It doesn't matter where you are on that path right now. Confess to the Lord. Repent means turn away. When you turn away, you always turn to and trust in him. And that gets to the final point. Our victory in Christ, friends. Temptation should remind us that the, the battle has already been won. The war is over. We trust in Christ. That doesn't mean that it's easy. Times it will be hard when we face temptation. But that temptation offers us an opportunity to strengthen our trust in God. In Scripture, we read that we are to flee temptation. It's everywhere. We think of even some lives of the patriarchs who fled temptation. Whenever you flee, though, you don't just run away. You don't just separate. That's part of it. What do you do? You run to safety. You run where you trust you'll be safe. When danger arises, unless it's your job, you're not running towards it, you're running away. And then you run to where protection is given. We run to where we trust. Just like a child runs to their mom or dad when they're scared. When temptation comes, it should be a trigger for the Christian. Run to the one who's created you, who knows you, who has saved you, who has redeemed you. Temptation lures us to gratify our sinful desires. But Christian, every time temptation comes, we're invited to trust in the gospel. No, we don't have to prove 
or earn through good works our salvation, but because we've been given the gift of salvation, we can follow him according to his strength. Hebrews 4, 16 says this of our Lord and Savior, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Would you go to the Lord? Temptation teases temporary satisfaction. We can have eternal satisfaction in our Lord. So let's rest. So as we, as we transition to worship through song, let's pause a moment. Close your Bible. Let's go before the Lord.